Good morning. Before I get in the lesson, let me just share a few quick uh, good things. Uh, first, let me introduce a new family, Perry, Michelle, Haggard, their daughter, Tegan. Y'all want to stand where you are, give us a wave. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this couple. Uh, both uh, Perry and Michelle have a previous career in law enforcement. Uh, they will quickly tell you they met in jail. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and they can explain more about that. Um, but they have come our way from California and we're so glad that they are here. Uh, Perry now works security at CA. Michelle is in real estate with uh, Crylight. And Tegan, if you don't know Tegan, you are missing out. You need to introduce yourself to their daughter, Tegan. She's a third grader at, at CA, and I just have a feeling we're going to hear great things about her in years to come. So introduce yourself to them uh, and help them uh, to feel welcome. Uh, you know, the August is toward the end of the year, um, but in a way, uh, churches, sort of like schools, it's the beginning of a year. So a lot of things are kicking off. As mentioned already, small group Bible studies, our registration today. There's a last to leaders kickoff lunch today. Uh, look in the bulletin. A lot of good things that are going on. I want you to be a part of that. Um, turn to the back of the bulletin. You can follow on your outline as we continue our lesson this morning. A few years ago, the Chicago Tribune had a section with the following headline, The Mystery of Missing Owner. And the whole article was about the Illinois State Treasurer's Office that was trying to return money to the rightful owners. Uh, these were contents of safe deposit boxes, forgotten bank accounts, security deposit checks, dividend checks. Get this, more than a billion dollars of money was unclaimed. So this was part of a legal notice trying to get the word out. Five million people had some type of claim to that. There were over a hundred, no, there were 10 individuals or couples that were each owed over $100,000. Amazing, I know. And then what proceeded were pages upon pages, 100,000 names of those who had a smaller portion of that billion dollars. Seems like a shame, right? But you, you hear that happening from time to time. Um, anybody remember or maybe heard of the TV show, The Beverly Hillbillies? Put their picture on the screen. That uh, You remember this line, come and listen to my story about a man named Jed? A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed, and then one day he was shooting at some food. You just want to break out in the song, don't you? <laughs> and up through the ground came a bubbling crude, oil that is, black gold, Texas tea. I'm taking you back. Well, the first thing you know, oh, Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there said California is the place you ought to be, so they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. The first series of that show, especially the first episode, is very telling because as they're moving from the woods, literally, to Beverly Hills, in the first episode, they move into a small house on the property. But it's not until the end of that first episode that they realize they have moved into the guard house. And the whole story, I mean, every episode is they had no idea how wealthy they were. I really think that reminds me of the reality of our situation. 
And I put that question at the top of your study guide there. How many Christians really understand what we have through Jesus Christ? Now, to be clear, I want to say this and make sure everybody understands the Bible does not teach a prosperity gospel. You will not hear that from me because that is not in Scripture. I hope you are listening uh, to Barry's prayer as he was praying for us not to get caught up in this world with material things. But what God promises his people is even better than earthly riches. And this is what I want us to think about. Peter calls them great and precious promises. It's like a Peter chapter 1. And Paul wanted to make sure that we got this, that we understood. I want to put a couple of verses on the screen. Read these with me. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And look at his wording here. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Gabriel did a much better job of pronouncing that than I just did. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, and look at the wording here, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But if you don't know about these treasures, if you don't know about these riches, then, then you don't know to claim them. You don't even know that they're yours. You're like the hillbillies and you're still living in the guard shack. We're in this study of Joshua. I started last week. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to again look at verses 1 through 5. This story, and I want us to see today, is about this, this new generation of God's people taking a land promised to them. And what we learned last week is what God wants to give must be taken. And that's really the story of the book of Joshua. This generation of people learning to take what God wants to give them. But just because God wants to give it doesn't mean it's yours. You have to claim it. You have to take it. And we understand this is true even for us today. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. But he also said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So he came more than just save us from something terrible. He also came to give us something wonderful. Now, for the people of Joshua's day, it was a land of their own. It was the land of promise. It's something they'd never experienced. And God wanted to give this to them 40 years earlier. But their parents refused to believe. They wouldn't take it. Instead, they were full of fear and not full of faith. And that's the story of some Christians even today. They live their life still full of fear. They've been delivered from the bondage of sin, and yet they don't enjoy the abundant life that Jesus came to give. I think Joshua has so much to teach us, both individually and even collectively as a church. So let's again read Joshua 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, kind of set the stage, because this is such a significant transition for the people of God at this time. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. This morning, I want us to think for the next few moments what it means to be part of this new generation. Joshua's generation, the Yeshua generation. Now, we have nicknames for our generations, too, and we know what we mean by that. Those of you who are 75 through 95, and depending on the source, the numbers change a little bit, but those who lived um, and served during World War II are called the silent generation. You've heard that name before. Some call it the greatest generation. Those of you 56 to 74, you're the baby boomers. After that post-war high birth rate from 1946 to 64, those of you who are 45 to 55, Generation X, you've heard of that, um, 1965 to 1980, the Millennials, 1981 to 2000, and then Gen Z, Generation Z, born 2001. Now, each of those generations has their positive attributes, and if you look it up, you can read different things about them, but they also have some limitations some things maybe they don't get that the other, other generations do. Well, Joshua is now commissioned to lead this new generation into the land of promise. And again, Joshua, that's the Hebrew name for Jesus, Yeshua. So now what you have here is this Yeshua generation. So let's learn in our study today three things that this Yeshua generation understands. The first is this, generations come and go, but God's purposes and promises remain. The generations come and go, but God's purposes and promises remain. The book of Joshua tells the story about these people crossing over into the promised land. But we know God tried to do this 40 years earlier. So what's the difference now? Why are they able to go now and they weren't able to go before? Where over the last 40 years, you know the story, everyone 20 years old and older died. That's what was happening during that wandering time. These were the people who chose to live in fear instead of faith. They heard Joshua's report. They heard Caleb's report. But they also heard the other 10, and they chose to believe the other 10. They chose to be filled with fear and not faith. But note, even though there's new generation on the scene here in Joshua chapter 1, God's promises and purposes remain. Forty years have passed, yes, but now God's back to square one. And that's what we see here happening. And what happened, though, between these two generations still happens today. There are some people, after they're saved, they don't claim what God has promised. And others... In faith, step into it. I believe that's why some experience the blessings of God more than others. Remember, God explained the expanse of the land that he was given to the people. He gave all the boundaries. We just read those. But there's a caveat. Everywhere you set your foot. So he told them about the possibilities, but he put some responsibility on them. 
I give you this land everywhere you put your foot. That's the difference between being offered and actually claiming it. One author explained it like this. It was a father and son that went to a sporting goods store to buy a set of weights. The son had been asking for those. His dad said, yeah, I'll buy that for you. And so as they went in, the son was so excited. And so before just going to the store, he grabbed one of those buggies, you know, so he could put the set of weights in. And the dad said, oh, no, I'll pay for it. But the lifting starts now. Just because your father has given you something doesn't mean there's not an effort on our part to follow him. It may also mean that you have to let go of some things that you're holding on to so that you can claim what God wants to give you. The difference between the two generations is who is willing to take what God wants to give. So generations come and go, but God's promises and purposes remain the same. Well, number two, this Yeshua generation understands that our standard should be determined by those purposes, God's purposes, God's promises, and not our past. Now, this is so important for them, and it's so important for us. I mean, the book of Joshua has so many lessons because there is a tendency for us, just like them, to look at our past as our standard. We look at our past as our standard for what it means to have a relationship with God. It's what we learn from our parents. It's what we learn from our grandparents. It's what we learn from teachers. It's what we learn from preachers. You've said it. I've said it. This is what I was taught. This is what I've always heard. Well, I grew up believing. Well, this is kind of what was, was the accepted norm, the teaching. Everyone looks at their past sort of as the norm, as the standard. But that can be problematic since some have a less than past and others have a very faith-filled, God-filled past. So we've got to be careful about letting what I've always been taught or what my parents believed to be the standard. Think about that. If this generation had followed their parents' footsteps, they'd be in trouble. So it's not necessarily about accepting everything you've always heard or done. So just assume that you are experiencing God because you're doing what your parents said or did or what you've always believed, may or may not be what is actually true. Your life may be like those in the wilderness, manna, quail, instead of milk and honey. You've been delivered from the bondage of sin, but you're still living in the wilderness. I thought about this and I wondered, and think with me for a moment. Is this not why some people give up on God? Maybe they grew up with parents trying to teach them, maybe a good church background. But their personal experience with God was dry, empty, boring. They may even say, you know, I tried the Christianity thing, but that just wasn't for me. But I wonder if the truth of that is really they tried the religion thing. See, Jesus came to give the abundant life, not desert living, not dry, not meaningless rules, not empty religion. He came to give hope and purpose and joy and peace, his very promise to never leave you. So people try a wilderness version and understandably say, nah, thanks, but no thanks. They've never tasted the milk and honey. We need to remember this. Jesus does not fail people. 
ever. Churches will fail people. Wrong beliefs fail people. Jesus does not fail people. And there's a difference between following church practices and some behavior modifications and answering the call of Jesus to follow me and in walking daily in the Spirit. The story of Joshua challenges us to let God be the standard. God's will be the standard, not necessarily letting our past dictate the standard. I read about a a 64-year-old policeman. At age 64, became a Christian. He was very proud of his occupation being a policeman. He was the fourth generation policeman. Dad, granddad, great-granddad, all policemen. But they were also all alcoholics. So when he grew up, he became a policeman. And you know, he also became an alcoholic. But when he gave his life to Jesus, he was called to a different standard. And with that, he decided to leave that behind, to be set free from that generational bondage Seeking a better life. That's what I mean by allowing God's promises and purposes to speak louder than any other voice, any other distraction, or any other past that may not align with God's will at all. Don't let Satan hold you back with that. You have a past. Yes, all of us do. And if anybody knows your past, God knows your past, and yet he's more than willing, in fact, eager to deliver you from your past and help you move forward to a future he wants to give you. So if you've got a past that's less than, the story of Joshua is perfect for you. It's a new generation. It's a new day. I think the story of Joshua is also good for those of us who grew up in a good home and a good church experience. Praise God for parents who instilled in you a great foundation for your faith. Be thankful that you had a church background and upbringing where it was a solid, faith-filled church and you had a great start to your faith formation. But let me ask you a question. As good as your church life, as good as your, your parents and all your upbringing, did you know everything you need to know about God by age 18? Was there not more that you needed to know, think, understand, and believe that God wanted to teach you, stretch you, grow you, mature you, even give you? How many of us now would look back and say, at age 18, I had it all figured out? Not at all. It is so easy to be hypercritical of this generation that died in the wilderness. They heard Joshua and Caleb. Their report, it was actually factually true. Yes, they are like giants, but with God's help, we can take them. But they chose not to believe that. And they suffered the consequences for their lack of faith. They would not be allowed to go in. They knew that wilderness, wandering in the wilderness was really just waiting until they died. Waiting until the new generation became old enough. But think about this. This new generation that we're reading about in Joshua chapter 1, 40 years later, so now they're 20 to 60 years old. They're not unaware of who God is. They know very well who God is. 
that when you read the story of Joshua, it truly is a new generation. They're not repeating, for the most part, the same mistakes of their parents. Why? Because somewhere during these 40 years, these parents were telling their children about God. They told them about their life as a slave and how God, through Moses, delivered their people. They told their children about the Red Sea party and walking through on dry land. They passed on all these stories. So this new generation was standing on a foundation built by their past. But here's the point. So if your past was a negative experience with the church, maybe wilderness living, the challenge of Joshua is let that be your floor, not your ceiling. Don't let that be the standard and say, that's what it's about. Say, well, that's just getting started. And I need to learn from that. God's got more. Be eager. Be ready to step up to move on to what the Bible says. This is a core truth in the redemption story throughout Scripture. I could share multiple verses, but just look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is the story of Jesus. There was a past and there is a future. And that is redemption. If you're a new creation, the past is gone. It's like that 64-year-old policeman who is now sober. It's a new day. And once that ceiling becomes the floor, then you can step on that foundation set by others. But for those who've had a good foundation, a good past, there's a lesson for us as well. I think we need to be careful because it's all too easy to be tempted to glory in those days. I've done it. You've done it. We could go back the way things used to be. You ever thought that way? I remember when the church was great. I remember when we did this. I remember, I remember. And there's some truth to those memories. Not saying there were not good days. Praise God you had wonderful experiences in your early formative years. But we don't hold those days as the standard. God's will is the standard. We long for what God wants to do now. So look at your good past as a floor and not the ceiling. Thank God for those who taught you, for those who modeled faith. But keep going. So whether your past was painful and difficult or, or, or good and solid, let that be a, a, a baseline, not, not necessarily the goal. Let God be the goal. And you keep looking in Scripture for what that is. Well, here's the third point. The Yeshua generation understands that God's purposes are bigger than any one generation or one leader. I think that's really a key point that's happening in these opening verses in Joshua chapter 1. Remember, he mentions there the boundaries. And depending on the commentary, I read different numbers there, but you're talking thousands of square miles. When you read through the book of Joshua, they only claimed a fraction. He wanted to give them so much more, but the only possessed where they set their foot. God's purposes are so much bigger than just one generation. God's purposes, his promises are so much bigger than just one leader. Look again at verses 1 and 2. And, and imagine hearing this being said. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Everybody knew that. But isn't that blunt? Is that without feeling? Is that callous? Is that rather cold? Does God not care about Moses? Like, Moses is dead. Basically, gone. When you read about the relationship with God and Moses, it was, it was more than special. I don't know that we can fully appreciate it. Deuteronomy 34 talks about a face-to-face relationship that God had with Moses. He's the only one that God buried by hand. He went up on the mountain alone and died in God's presence. Can we even begin to imagine that experience? Look on the screen. I put just a couple of statements about Moses and his relationship with God in Deuteronomy 34. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo. The Lord showed him all the land. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give to your offspring. I'll let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There's not arisen a prophet since like Moses. Moses was special. In fact, people who don't know much about the Bible, they know the name Moses. They may not know who he is, but they know about Moses. But God is not about to build a shrine for Moses. In fact, God made sure that nobody knew where he was buried. Why? Because God's purposes and promises are much more than one generation or one leader. Basically what he's saying here, Moses, my servant, is dead. Let's move on. It's time to go. It's time to march. Joseph, you remember him? Joseph mourned for seven days of the death of his father, Jacob. But when Moses died, they mourned for 30 days. I think there's something for us to learn here. God is speaking to our core here. He's challenging us to think very clearly It's time for us to see and understand. And this is a timeless truth. It's not about a person. It's not about a past. It's about God. It's always about God. It's always about what does God want? What is God's will? What is His way? We need to learn to have this kind of generational mindset. It's not about who came before us. Be grateful for what is good. Look past what is bad. But it's not about me and what I like or what I prefer. It's not about you and what you like or prefer. It's not about... Who brought you to this point? It's about God and what He wants. Every day we wake up, it's a new day. God, what do you want me to know today? How are you going to grow me today? So then when God challenges us with a new opportunity, and that could be just something that happens at work or in our life, in our relationships. It could be through our leadership at church. Don't look at it with selfish eyes and go, well, that's not me, or I don't know. Look at it with God's eyes. God, what is it you're trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? How can we claim these promises and these purposes? Think about it. You have been saved so that you can share the good news with someone else who needs to be saved. That's why we're here. That's why we do everything, so that we can expand the kingdom. It's about whom God will reach through you, somehow, some way. It's about the generation that's going to follow us. It's about future generations, helping them to see God's hand. Do we get it perfect? No. 
We're going to mess up, but hopefully they'll see that as the floor and not the ceiling, and they'll go beyond that. It's bigger than any one generation, any one leader. In Joshua 1.1, Joshua is called Moses' assistant. And he's been in that role for quite some time. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, it says, The Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all of Israel, so everybody's watching, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with his people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And then you read about Moses' death in chapter 34. Just after his death, a few chapters later, verse 9, Joshua the son of Nun was full of spirit and wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. I love this story because Moses, Moses is not the kind of guy that you'd want to follow. You know, when you get a new job, you're new to a position, you want to follow somebody who blew it big time. You know, if you're the new coach, you want to follow somebody who was the losing coach. You don't want to follow somebody who was the state champion and then retired and then you follow in their state. You just don't want to do that. Who wants to follow in Moses' steps? I mean, Moses is bigger than life person. Now, granted, at the beginning, there was some opposition to Moses. But here he's at his peak. He's at his crest. And what does he do? He pulls Joshua in beside him and says, all of Israel, I'm not going to go. Joshua's going to lead you. An amazing thing is happening here. And from that moment on, Joshua goes everywhere Moses goes. And all of Israel is watching this. So many lessons to learn. I have seen some of our shepherds do this. To mentor others. Some of our elders now were mentored by other elders who pulled them alongside and said, one day, one day, you could lead in this way. It's a beautiful thing. But that challenge extends to all of us. Whether you're an elder, whether you're 80 years old, 60, if you're 20, you need to be thinking about whom can you pull in beside you? Who can you mentor? Whom can you help? And you know what's going to happen? When you're trying to do a project, a task, it's going to take you longer if you pull in somebody beside you. You could do it a lot quicker just by yourself and knock it out. But that's very narrow thinking. That's selfish thinking. But if you're thinking generationally, it's not just about my generation. It's not just about getting the task done. It's about pouring into others. It's not about finding the easy way. It's about looking to God's purposes and promises. We have a land that God wants to give, but we have to take it. There's a part of us, and I think maybe it's our American spirit. Maybe it's just our human spirit, but maybe as Americans, we've got an extra dose of individualism. It's me and mine. You know, it's my business, and I can do it myself. I can pull myself by my, up by my own bootstraps, and that doesn't even make sense. You look it up, and it's just that whole idiom is just idiotic. But we think that way, you know. It's my business, and don't tell me what to do. But yet, when you, when you submit to the lordship of Jesus, folks, you've got to kiss that goodbye. Because that's not what it means to walk 
in the Spirit. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. That's not what it means when you read about his promises and his purposes and you submit to those, realizing that what we're about, folks, is kingdom work. This is about God and his way. This is not about me and mine. It's not just about this church. It's about God working in all of us. I know sometimes we joke about where we sit in our pews. I'm not going to make fun of us anymore on that one. We do. I do it. It's all good. But maybe we need to focus about where we stand. Think about that. Standing. Standing on the, uh, standing on the past? No. Standing on what you've done? No. Standing on who's brought you to this point? No. Appreciative for the good? Forgive those who failed you along the way because some did. But you stand on the promises of God. How many people claiming to be a Christian are still spiritually living in the guardhouse and they have no idea what God wants to give? Because here's what happens. I talked about the American spirit some of that, too, is materialism. Again, Barry prayed about that. Barry, you didn't even know where I was going with my lesson today, but your words just really helped. It is almost impossible not to get bitten by that bug. And it's all about the accumulating. We do it. Think about it. We've got closets bigger than our parents and grandparents had rooms. And then we still have to buy and rent storage rooms. It's just amazing how much stuff we've got. It is so hard to not get caught up in all of that. But when you grow in the Lord, and again, it doesn't mean you have to be 80 to get it. There's some 20-year-olds who've got it better than some 80-year-olds who've got it. You understand peace and joy and contentment and security all the promises of God are so much more than all this stuff. All this stuff, that's just something to clean and something to ensure and to keep up with. God wants to give us so much more. But it begins by accepting your salvation. Jesus came to die for you. A lot of our songs today we're along that theme. So we close our lesson giving you the opportunity to accept salvation in Jesus' name. That's why he came, so that you could have eternal life. Be free from bondage and begin to live a life that is beyond all this stuff and is truly the abundant life. If you're ready to confess your faith in Jesus and be buried with him in baptism, we always have the water ready. Or if we can pray for you in your walk with the Lord in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you? The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. The Lord make his face to shine Just.